in the summer, we do a series a little bit different we, because so many people are here and there and gone and vacations and everything. So um, we do it in such a way that if you're not here one week, we do encourage you to watch it online, but you don't miss a part. It's a series or together, but each part's not necessarily dependent on the, the other part. And so we just finished up a series on our favorite books. So we're going to kick off a, a new series this morning. And here's where the series came from. We were talking as a staff about... Um, how to do a series, kind of like what I just talked about. And so we came up with this idea that we would tackle some hot topics. Everyone say hot. No, you got to say hot. See, there's hot, then there's hot. This is a hot topic series. So I thought during this series, I would tackle some hot topics. And I'm going to talk over the next few weeks about politics, racism, and just the cultural confusion that's around us and how we are to deal with those things as believers. And next weekend, though, we're going to take a break from the series and Steve Finn will be with us. If you don't know who Steve Finn is, he was supposed to be with us in the spring and he got really sick one evening, couldn't make it the next morning. And so he is the founder and he's the director of the Chestnut Boys Ranch in Morgantown. This amazing ministry doing all this amazing, amazing things right there in Morgantown. And he, he, he um, has written one of the best books I've written. He's been spending some time at the White House. He's been with Dr. John Maxwell. He's an amazing guy. So don't miss next weekend. And if you can't be here, uh, tune in on the live stream. And so the reason why we're doing this series is just to kind of tackle um, the controversy that's in our culture. And here's what I believe. Here's why I would do something like this. I believe the Bible has a solution for every messed up thing out there. I believe that the Bible has a solution. It has an answer for a culture's confusion. Amen. Anyone believe that with me? So um, if you will, um, if, you, if you can't be here on a particular weekend, you can always go back and watch it on YouTube. And I had a lot of people this morning after the first experience say that they, uh, everyone needs to hear what I say this morning, which I appreciate. A lot of people said we need to post that so you can... You can post a link to this, and, and I do believe it's going to help some people. And so before I get into this morning's topic, I, I want to read a scripture and explain a really strange-sounding scripture to you. And it just kept coming up in me and coming up in me as I was starting this series. And the scripture's in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, and this is Jesus talking. How many know if Jesus said it, it's extra important, right? Jesus actually said this. He's talking about his disciples, and he said it this way. He said, I'm sending you like lambs into a pack of wolves. How many know that's comforting, Jesus? <laughs> Appreciate the support, right? I'm sending you into a pack of wolves, and all throughout Scripture, we're referred to as sheep. And I'm sending you as a sheep into a pack of wolves. And then it says something really weird. Be as wise as a serpent. And be as innocent as a dove. When I read that, I'm like, okay, God, what, what, what are you saying, Jesus, to us? So we can say it this way. I'm sending you into wolf country. Um, the culture we live in, the world that we live in, as a believer with conservative views or Christian faith or Christian theology, how many know it can seem a little bit like everyone's on the attack against Christian morals? And so Jesus said, I'm sending you, and you're sheep, and I'm sending you into wolf country. Here's the thing about wolves. They pack attack, and they're vicious. And so it can seem like times the things we believe in, the things we might stand for, the things we hold on to are being attacked, and they're being attacked violently, consistently. And so the solution Jesus gave us was be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. 
Now, I would have worded it differently. I'd been like, be sharp as a ninja and carry a huge gun. That's what I would have said. But Jesus said it differently. And, and so we got to stop because I think anytime we see the word serpent, we sort of jump to the Garden of Eden and we think of the temptation serpent. But throughout scripture, there's talk of the serpent and it, it's, it's mentioned in positive ways. And so it's meant in a positive fashion here. So Jesus said, first of all, in the midst of culture and, and, and the violence and the danger and the opposition, he said, I want you to be wise like a serpent. And so I unpacked the word wise for you and it could be said this way. Um, this will make sense. Be as wise as a serpent, which means this, you need to avoid the snares. Whenever we see a serpent in the Bible, it's talking about that a serpent is clever. A serpent isn't always seen, but you know it's there. It's, it's clever. It's got wisdom to it, the way that it, it conducts itself. So we can say it this way. Be as wise as a serpent. Avoid snares. Be discerning of the times. Be thoughtful. Be intelligent. Be sensible. Be prudent. Don't be naive. And don't be inflammatory. And I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that later. And we can say it this way, that means we need to have a dedication, a loyalty, an allegiance, and a steadfastness to the word of God, even if it's not politically correct. In other words, here's what I'm saying, be as wise as a serpent means you need to keep your conviction of the word of God. And then he says, be as innocent as a dove. And really what Jesus was saying was, keep your conviction, but keep your humility don't let yourself be taken advantage of. Be unmixed with culture. Have compassion. So we can say it this way. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out, and you're going to feel like a sheep in wolf country. So keep your convictions, but keep your compassion. And I would say to you, in the world we live in today, we got to keep our conviction to the word of God, but we got to keep our compassion toward people. And I believe that's, that's what Jesus is, is saying here. And so we're, we're, you know, we're coming up here in the, in the next year uh, to another election season. And there is a lot of um, division in our country at this moment. And so it's another important election. And so um, what I want to talk to you about this morning is a hot topic. And after I started talking in the first service, I was like, why did I take this topic on this morning? <laughs> But we ended somewhere good. And so I, I want to talk to you. Here's my title this morning. The hot topic is politics. Yeah. And my tagline is this, how to recognize what convicts us. And for the next few moments, I, I want to say this to you, that I would never walk up here in this public pulpit and say, you need to vote for such and such. But I do believe as your pastor, I can walk up here and say, here's how we need to vote. Because I believe, as a believer, we need to know how to vote. So I'm not telling you who to vote for, but I will tell you how I think as a believer we should vote. So we are like sheep in wolves country, and we're to keep our conviction. At the same time, we're to keep our compassion. So obviously, politics is one of the hottest topics you could talk about, right? If I started talking to you about politics, I would immediately locate your beliefs, and you would locate mine. Now, you would think we could have a cordial conversation, but how many know it could get a little heated, right? Because it could be your opinion, your thoughts, and your feelings against mine. And mine could be wrong, and yours could be right, or yours could be absolutely wrong, and mine could be right. But we're, we're really strong about our I mean, we'll fight over politics. We will lose relationship over politics. So I'm not here to do that. I'm actually here to tell you, as a believer in that kind of setting, how would we vote? How, how do we conduct ourselves, not just in voting, but in our stance as a believer in a world where a lot of times 
The political environment is really anti-Christian sometimes. And the reason why it's like that, the Bible said there's a spirit in the world right now, and it's called the spirit of the anti-Christ. Well, the word anti means to be what? Against. So there's a spirit that's against Judo-Christian theology, um, original core convictions of the Bible and Scripture. So in the middle of the world that we live in right now, in other words, what I'm saying, it's not your grandma's world. It's just different. But listen to me, even though culture's changing, the Word of God does not change. The reason why the Word of God does not change, it does not have to because it's right. There are, there are, in essence, two forms of truth. There is what we call relative truth, and there's absolute truth. And relative truth means this. Truth changes upon opinion, location, who you're around, and what's going on. Well, how many know that's not a standard if it changes? It changes to fit your philosophy. Well, there has to be a truth outside of us, and that's absolute truth. And I believe, and we believe, it's the words of Jesus. It's the word of God. And the Bible said the word of God does not change, and it will not change because it does not have to. God doesn't change. He doesn't have to. You need to change. I need to change. We have to. Amen. Amen. So here, here, here's what I want to share with you if you're taking notes, if you received notes when you came in. I believe that there are three political convictions every believer has to hold on to. Three political convictions. Now, listen, just because I'm talking politics, don't tune me out. I, I'm not here with a party. I'm not here with um, a candidate. I'm just here with the words of Jesus. How do we put this into our life? Because I believe that the words of Jesus, they're, they're the solution for anything in life. It's the handbook. You know, when you get a new car in the glove box, there's a manual. It tells you how to operate that vehicle. When it breaks down, how to troubleshoot, how to operate, how to use. Have you ever gotten a new car and it has all those new buttons and you're like, I don't know what these do. Uh, there's a manual for that. You know what? For your life, there's a manual for that. To be an overcomer, there's a manual for that. For your marriage, there's a manual for that. For your business, there's a manual for that. For your life, you got the picture. There's a manual for that. So I believe there are three convictions that we have to hold on to as believers. Y'all ready for them? Can you handle the truth? Here we go. Everybody, first of all, let's, get to, let's all make a confession. Pastor Aaron, we love you. We received this word, and we'll still love you afterwards. Here we go. first one is this. Every believer, if you call yourself a believer, every believer must vote with a moral conviction, not a personal bias. As a believer... I have to vote, you have to vote with a moral conviction, not an individual bias. They, they said that the last um, presidential election, only 60% of the population voted. At the last midterm, only 40%. So half of our eligible population doesn't vote. And they said there are some reasons for that. And here, here are some of the opinions on why people will not vote. Um, a lot of people say, well, my vote really doesn't matter. And you know what? If you're just looking from your little perspective, one vote probably doesn't. But when everyone else thinks that way, one plus one plus one plus plus, it, it, it does really matter. So that, that's an excuse people have made, but your vote really does matter. And, and let me say this. I believe as a Christian, anytime we have been given the opportunity and the privilege, as we have in our country, to defend righteousness and to vote out evil or to vote for God's principles, I do believe we should vote. Any way that we can keep, promote, hold on to, or protect godly principles, I do believe that we're responsible to do that. 
Um, some other excuses people gave is, I hate the whole political process. Wait, I think everybody hates the whole political process. Shouldn't be an excuse. Um, how about this? I'm just too busy to vote. I, I, I do believe we, we're all busy. I get it. But we can't be too busy, as I mentioned, to defend truth. Um, here's a couple more. All politicians are corrupt anyways. All politicians are corrupt. And, and, and I don't think they all are. I know several of them are, but it can't be an excuse. And another reason they say is it's just an American thing. It's not a Christian thing. So let, let me answer that question. Should we even as Christians even be concerned about politics and about voting? And you have to go back to the fact that our country was actually founded to give us a freedom to worship Christ. And so it's, it's, it's important. But if we go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, Moses writes something that I think we can use uh, and we can look at here in this moment. So Moses in Deuteronomy said this, how can I alone bear all of your problems and your burdens, and your complaints. So Moses has becomes the leader over the nation of Israel with hundreds of thousands of people. And he said, I can't handle all of, all of this myself. So this is what he says, choose. I mean, we could use the word elect, or choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from all of your tribes, and I'm gonna make them heads over you. So we see early on there's this selection process for leadership. And then this was the response of people. Moses said, you answered me when I did this, and you said, the thing that you have told us to do, it's what? It's good. It's good. It's a good thing that we're able to elect and, and put, um, uh, the Bible supports us electing people to lead us and give us leadership. Um, Jesus was accosted, and he was questioned over paying taxes. And Jesus said, well, let me see a coin. Whose picture is on the coin? Well, I said, well, that's Caesar's picture on the coin. And Jesus said, well, then give him what's due him, but give God what's due him. And what Jesus was saying is there are legal governing policies that you're to follow unless it opposes the will of God, unless it opposes the word of God. So we see here that, that the political process, the election process, the, 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 the political governing process, the, the scripture even tells us we need good leadership. We need people to lead us. It, it's a good thing. So when I said to you, we need a moral conviction, not our own individual bias, here's what I mean. I believe as a believer, when it comes time for me to give my vote, I should not vote based on my own bias, but I should vote on moral issues. For example, individual bias can mean this. I'm just voting for somebody because they're a certain gender. Well, if I'm just voting because we just need a man or we just need, that's not a reason that we vote. Can, should a woman be present? Well, if it's a good woman, yes. How about this? We should not vote just based on race. We should not vote just based on party affiliation. Well, I'm Republican, I'm voting Republican, I'm Democrat. That, those can't be our reasons. Our reasons have to be moral conviction. They have to be scriptural conviction. Sometimes we vote on our demographic bias, our economic bias. Um, we vote on personality. So how should we vote? I believe we should prayerfully vote for the person who has the most righteous platform. Now, I, I wish we could look at some candidates and say they, all of their platform is totally righteous. Well, sometimes we have to choose who has the best righteous platform. That's why I said I can't just vote. Now, remember, you all said you love me, so you can't back out of that. We can't just vote on my bias. Well, because sometimes we say, well, I vote Democrat because my grandma was a Democrat, and her grandma was a Democrat, and her grandma was a Democrat. I'm going to vote Democrat. Why? Well, just because. Those are individual biases. 
And we cannot exalt an individual bias above the truth of Scripture. So when it comes to my bias of, uh, we can't just say, well, I, I just want a white president. I just want an African-American president. Th- th- those are individual biases, and we need scriptural bias, moral conviction. So as a believer, when it comes time to vote, we step back and we, and we look and we say, I need a moral compass, have a moral conviction on how I'm to vote. Second thing I would say to you is this, that, and it's kind of wordy, so stick with me. Every believer must have a biblical conviction to protect the sanctity of Scripture, not popular opinion. Every believer has to have a biblical conviction that we protect the sanctity of Scripture, just not popular opinion. And here's what I mean by that. There is a lot of opinion in culture. There is a lot of theories in culture. And a lot of them are are anti-scriptural. So as a believer... How do we conduct ourselves, not just voting, but just with our political opinions? I have to have a scriptural conviction that I protect the sanctity of the scripture. Here's what I mean. The Bible tells us that this is the infallible, which means it's without error, words of Jesus, word of God, thoughts of God, mindset of God. It's just written down for us to be able to to have and to hold and to follow. And so I take this word, as a believer, I'm to protect the sanctity of the scripture with my theories, my votes, my conversations, my affiliations. For, for example, what one of the, I believe, and I believe I can say this with all of heaven behind me, one of the greatest things you and I as believers have to protect is the sanctity of life. One of the probably worst tragedies Today, one of the hot topics, controversial issues is the right to life. And I, there are arguments um, and biases, but as believers, we have to protect the unborn. And there are, it, the number one killer in the world is abortion. 40-some million a year, 120-some thousand um, every day. And I believe as a believer, one of the topics that we land on is we have to protect the unborn. It's scriptural. That's why I said we, it's up to me and you to protect what the words of Jesus, what the words of God are. How about this? To protect the sanctity of marriage. Scripture teaches um, marriage is between one man and one woman. And we're to protect that. How about this? We're to protect the sanctity of worship. You know, our, our country gives us a right to gather and to worship with freedom we, we need to protect that. Uh, here's, here's one for you. We also need to protect, I guess I would use these words, we are to protect the sanctity of the church. Now when I say church, that means two things. One, it means us being able to gather in a church and have freedoms to preach the word of God. But it also means this, we, we must protect the nation of Israel. God said that the nation of Israel, they're his people. And we must align ourselves, we must support. There's this little nation called Israel that the hand of God has been with since the beginning of time. And the Bible said that we're to pray for their peace and we're to protect them. And whoever protects Israel, they prosper. Matter of fact, our church, one of the things we support every month here is a ministry for the nation of Israel. If you protect Israel, if you bless Israel, God commands a blessing on you. And so we, 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 we must stand with Israel, it's God's people. So these are sanctities of scripture that you and I are responsible to protect. 
Things like the, the, the unborn, um, uh, the sanctity of marriage, sanctity of God's people, the sanctity of Scripture. Now, I, I want to say a very, very strong statement. And I just want you to hear this statement. Uh, and the way I worded it is very strong, but I believe that it's true. Our vote and our political view and our protection of Scripture our protection of, of our Christian beliefs, how we vote, how we think about politics, listen to this. Our vote, our vote will hold us accountable to either the allegiance of Scripture or the violation of Scripture. Let me say it again. The way that we vote makes us accountable. Accountable to either the violation of Scripture or to the allegiance of Scripture. Meaning this, if I vote in ways that are in alignment with Scripture, now, however we vote as believers, we're accountable. So if I am voting for candidates or policies that are anti-scriptural, then I've violated Scripture. If I'm voting in principles that are scriptural, then I'm aligning myself with Scripture. How many know we, we want to be in alignment with Scripture? So I believe it makes us accountable. Now, if anybody has violated scriptural principles by voting against things that would be the sanctity of scripture, um, and maybe you're sitting here and, and feel convicted about that, the good news is all we have to do is repent. All we have to do is repent for that. I know that's a strong statement, but that's how important it is. If, if one of the worst tragedies in the world right now is, is abortion, we as believers have to do everything we can to protect the unborn, which means our voice, our vote. Now, here's what it doesn't mean. We don't go blowing up clinics. We don't go shooting people because what did the Bible say? We need to have conviction and compassion. That's how we walk in a world that feels like wolf country and we feel like a sheep. We always keep our convictions, but we're always compassionate. Just because I believe a certain way about Scripture doesn't mean I can't love you. If you have a different belief about Scripture or you have a different belief about a, a, a topic or a policy or an item or an agenda, just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I have to hate you. But our voting and our political views align us or makes us accountable. If I... If I'm voting and allowing those who I know would support a topic like abortion, then, then I'm violating scripture. And so we, we, we need to take these things very serious. So once again, I'm, I have no agenda. I have no platform. I'm not running for office. Um, I, I, I'm not pushing a candidate. I, I'm, I'm pushing the scripture. I just know in a world with a lot of confusion, that's kind of what this series is about. Let me just bring some truth to the confusion in our culture. God's not up on the throne. He didn't wake up this morning like, OMG, what are we going to do? Um, world's in a crisis. Um, things are going crazy. What are we going to do about this politician? What are we going to do about our president? What are we God's not freaking out on the throne. He's on the throne, and it's a throne of victory. And he's standing on his promises. He's standing on his words. But he has placed on our hands as a church to carry the answers, to carry the solutions, to walk in truth. So we should be people of truth. So some of these things, listen, someone was saying to me this morning that politics just overwhelms them. And I told them this, I, I, I don't go home and veg out on politics. I, I'm not consumed with politics. I'm, not, I'm just, just not my thing. 
But I do believe that I have to have a knowing on what people believe, who I'm voting, who I'm supporting, and what I'm standing for. And here, here's a third thing i like to, to share with you. So we've said this so far this morning, that God has said that he's sending us as believers, and we're like sheep, and we're actually, it's like we're in wolf country, so we need to have a wise conviction, and it actually means don't become inflammatory. What it means is you don't have to stir up a bunch of trouble politically is what it means. So we, we keep our conviction, but we walk in compassion. And when it comes time to vote, I don't vote with my, with my individual bias. I vote with a bigger picture. I vote with a conviction about the scriptures. And when it comes to the time to just have a political view, I, I have a biblical conviction that it's not about popular opinion. It's about me protecting what Jesus said. And here's the last thing I want to tell you this morning. Every believer should also have a spiritual conviction to honor leaders no matter your personal preference. No matter what your personal preference is, no matter who you voted for, I believe as a believer, what we're called to do is to walk in honor. Now, if you have a military background or you're a few years older, you are taught a lot more about honor than our current culture is being taught about honor. And it's missing in our culture. And here's the thing about honor. Honor is a mixture of my words, my thoughts, and my actions. For example, I, 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 could, I could tell Damien, dude, man, I honor you. You're awesome. He's, an ex, he, he's a veteran, ex-military. He's going through a lot for this country. And I could say, man, I honor you. I honor you. In my head, I could be like, what a bozo. What a loser. What a, see, I can't just give him lip service. My thoughts, my words, my actions, all three of those things are a mixture of what honor is. And so honor means you put value on something, you put respect on something. And the book of Haggai says this, it says, consider your ways. And when I read that, I know that as a believer, I'm supposed to consider the comments I have, the conversations I have, the actions I have, especially when it comes to this whole political stuff. And listen, as a pastor, with a lot of eyes on me every Sunday and a lot of eyes on me on the internet, um, I am very, very, very cautious of what I say when it comes to political because I want to keep my convictions, but I want to have compassion. I don't want to stir up fights I don't need to have, but I don't want to back off of truth. And that's exactly what that scripture means. So the scripture says a few things. Y'all doing all right? Okay, let's come down the home stretch here. Romans chapter 13, verse one says this. Let every soul, that means all of us, let us all be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are actually appointed by God. Really what this scripture is saying is toward governing officials and leaders, we should have the right attitude. It says be subject. And so that means we're, we're, we're to have honor in our conversations, and it also could mean something like this. Not just our conversations, but there's this thing today called the internet, where we can just go on and just spew whatever we want to, Right? Now, here's what I'm not saying. Everybody, you are an American. You, you have an opinion. You have thoughts. And you should be able to express your thoughts. And you can always say, I don't exactly agree with that. I think a little differently. But I do think there's a line that we cross when our leaders and our officials, even if you didn't vote for our president, what you say publicly, what you say and verbalize, it should still be with honor. You, you can say, I disagree and still have honor. I can say, I don't agree with how things are done, but say it with honor. See, when we cross the honor line, 
Now we're, so the opposite of honor is what? To dishonor, is to disvalue. And this is what the scripture says in Samuel. It says, if we honor the ways of God, the will of God, the word of God, how we honor that is how God honors us. So if we're gonna dishonor, so for example, how we treat our leaders, our officials, our president, our governor, all of, how we honor, that's what God takes to honor us back with. So if we're dishonoring, the Bible says what God will do in our life, he'll dishonor us. So the way that we create honor, and what does honor do? Honor is a magnet. Honor attracts the favor of God. Honor attracts the blessing of God. Honor attracts the goodness of God. So if I'm able to honor, God takes what I'm using to honor, and he honors us back with the favor of God, the goodness of God, the blessings of God. But if I dishonor, God dishonors back. So we have to be very, very aware of how we say it. And so as a pastor, um, I have my own opinions, but you do not see me going online. And there are times I'd like to, trust me. There are times I've actually typed stuff out and deleted it before I hit the send button. I do it when I watch a football game. I do it when, I, when I'm watching a, pol- a political thing. I'm just like, I can't believe that I have to hit delete because I know my voice, if I say it, I'm accountable to it. But you know what? You are too. If you're not a pastor, you're, you're still, I just, there's a public domain. I have to watch what I say. And I believe we all should have that filter. Why? It's an honor filter. Actually, one of the biggest problems in our culture, and I'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, it's an honor issue. Let's keep reading. You didn't like that. Let's keep reading. First, first Peter. I only got two more scriptures. First Peter chapter two. Look what it says. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Verse 15, this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. Look at verse 17. Honor all people. Love your brothers. Fear God. Honor the king. When in America, we don't have a king but we have elected officials, we have president, we have governing officials, we have governors, we have. And so what the Bible is saying here is that we're to submit. The word submit is a military word. It just means I'm gonna bring my life underneath something. And so what it's saying is I'm gonna bring my life under the word of God. And if the word of God says that I'm to honor the ordinances, the laws of the land, the leaders of the land, that's what I'm to do. The only time we're not to honor the laws of the land or honor our leaders is if they are in violation of scripture. Then we do not listen. Otherwise, we honor those. That gives us a chance for God to honor us. So it's about attitude, it's about our submission. And one last scripture, uh, 1 Timothy chapter two. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications and prayers and intercessions, those are all types of prayer. And giving of thanks, let it be made for all men, for the kings, and all who are in authority, that we would do, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and all reverence. This is good. It's acceptable in the sight of God. So the Bible tells us it's about our attitude. It's about our honor. It's about our submission. And now we see we should pray. How, how many have ever, um, now it's easy to complain, isn't it? Especially politically, man, it's easy to complain. And it, nothing wrong with having your thoughts. But how many know in life, has your complaining ever fixed anything? This, those of you are, who are married and you complained about your wife, did it ever fix anything? The answer is no. Wives, complaining about your husband, did it ever fix it? 
No. Well, the Bible says this. This is my translation. Don't freak out about stuff. Pray. And Philippians says that. It says, don't let yourself get anxious, but in everything, just pray. And see, praying is the opposite of complaining. Now, I'm not saying you can't have some thoughts and you can't be able to talk, you can't be able to share, but I am saying the attitude that we say it in, the humility of our heart and their prayerfulness, that's what changes things. That's what alters things. Complaining never changes anything. It just describes things. If you want your marriage to change, stop complaining, start praying. If you want situations around you to change, stop complaining, just start praying. That's what, the book, that's what Paul said. He said, quit stressing, just pray. And it goes on and says, the God who hears everything will hear and he will move on your behalf. So why would I tackle a subject? Uh, I want us to be a church that's not afraid of controversial things. I want us to be a church that impacts culture. We don't take our cues from culture. And the only way to do that is not with attitude, it's just with truth. We, we'd be like, well, we can have an attitude. Well, no, Jesus said, don't use your freedom to have an attitude. He said, stand in truth. And what our world needs now is not more arguments. It's not more division. You know what it really needs? And not everyone's gonna accept it, but it needs truth. It needs a conviction of truth wrapped in compassion. That's what our world needs. That's what our community needs. That's what our relationships need. They just need, and listen, you don't have to believe me. doesn't change my compassion for you. But I do have a conviction of the truth that it's not my opinion. It's what the scripture says.